Titus chapter 2. The Philippine Islands rested in hope during World War II because one of our generals wading into the waters to be picked up and taken away from that place, said, I shall return, General Douglas MacArthur. The Lord Jesus Christ has gone to heaven and said, Behold, I come quickly. Amen. He said amen, because he's going to do what he said. If a whole nation could be kept in hope during some very difficult years under Japanese oppression... Can we be filled with hope during our years here in this world where we are oppressed from time to time? If it were not for the Scriptures of God, we would not know a thing about this coming event of Jesus Christ's return. You can't learn this from looking at a thunderstorm or admiring a rose. You might be able to see that God is very creative in His design of things and very powerful in His voice that speaks from heaven. But we wouldn't know about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is by revelation of the Holy Scriptures, preached by Paul and others, brought down to us. And so we assemble in this little room to encourage each other in the blessed hope of the believer. There isn't one paragraph or sentence in the Greenville News today to tell you about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's wasted ink. There's nothing of value in that paper. The New York Times, though thicker, though read by more, has nothing better. They have no hope for those who must die. And because of the bondage of death, most men are kept in bondage by their religious systems. You need to see a Roman Catholic widow buying candles and thumbing a rosary to appreciate the hope that Jesus Christ finished work and His resurrection and second coming can give a person. We are so blessed. This doctrine gives great hope to those that believe it, and it gives us great motives to serve Him better. Maybe if we were in the catacombs under Rome, we'd get a little more excited about this doctrine. We ought to be excited about it, though we live in such a free land. So let's look at a few verses of Scripture. There's too many to cover. In one service, but we're going to look at a few to remind us of how important this was to the early believers. And we're going to start right here in Titus chapter 2. And our brother mentioned this great verse in his prayer. But I want to read to you verses 11 through 14. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people Zealous of good works. There is the doctrine of our salvation, and that gospel was carried into all the world and heard by every creature which is under heaven, according to Colossians chapter 1, verses 6 and 23. But the gospel of the grace of God teaches us something. And it doesn't teach us 
that a mere decision is enough. The grace of God that comes teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we are to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And we're to be looking for another world that is to come. And that other world is in verse 13. We're to be looking for it. Verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope. When you're looking for something, you think about it. You expect it. You want it. When you're looking for something, you want it. When you're looking to get to your destination, you're watching the mile markers pass, the exit numbers pass, because you want to get there. And if we were looking for the second coming like we should, we'd be thinking about it, expecting it, and wanting it. It's something we should talk about and stir ourselves up to think about. It is called the blessed hope. It's not just hope. It's a blessed hope because it's hope of great blessings. What's in store for us, mind cannot conceive. The eye hath not seen, nor the ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. You can't imagine it. Your mind isn't big enough to tell you what heaven might be like. And it is like that. Above and beyond what I can tell you or you can imagine. So it's called a blessed hope. It's called His glorious appearing. The Lord Jesus Christ is not coming back hanging on a crucifix. There's enough denominations in this world that like to have Him on a crucifix. Jesus isn't coming back looking like a long-haired hippie. Jesus isn't coming back in a manger. You know I love Him in the hands of Simeon, but He's not coming back in the hands of Simeon. He's coming back on a white horse with a sword coming out of His mouth and His eyes as a flame of fire and His feet as burning brass and a golden girdle about His paps. And when John, His best friend on earth, saw Him, He fell at His feet as dead. That's called the glorious appearing of the, what kind of God? The great God. There's only one of those. The great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Do you like that verse or not? But are you looking for that? Do you know how much we get wrapped up in our jobs, our education, our bodies? You make it to the gym every day, or you eat right, or you take your vitamins, but do you talk to your family every day about the second coming? Shame on all of us. We don't talk enough about the blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we do with this hope? We live a sober, godly, righteous life in this present world. And that takes some doing. This present world doesn't want to be sober. It doesn't want to be righteous. And it doesn't even know what godly is. So we've got our work cut out for us. But if we have the hope set before us and we're stirred up to it, we can do this. We can deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. They can fill themselves with their lusts because they're having their blessed hope now. You know what they have to do to get through life with their blessed hope? Get drunk, get high, get divorced, get fired, quit. It's terrible. And yet that's all the hope they've got. They're getting their heaven right now. Our heaven is to come. Our blessed hope is to come. But you know what? We're winners. The gospel is a win-win situation. Not only do we get blessings in the future, if you love those blessings and submit to them now, they will fill your heart and soul with blessings right now. Amen. Did you get a little bit of a blessing when we were singing? When we see Christ? Just one glimpse of His dear face. 
Was it stirring you up? I heard some amens. I think it, we win on both ends. They're having their heaven now. Ours is to come. But it's good right now. We're, we're, walk, we're in the fields of Zion now enjoying some of the sweet things of heaven as the Lord sends His Holy Spirit into our hearts. Where will we go at His appearing? We'll go into the next world. We're to deny ourselves an ungodly lust in the present world, but we've got another world to come. Do you know the Bible says there's a world to come? It's not in your history books, is it? None of you that have taken history of civilization are told about another world to come. There's another world to come. They don't know anything about it. We know all about it. We can't wait to be in that one. Things are going to work out well there. You'll like it. I speak as a fool. It deserves far better language than that. On what basis do we have this hope? That Jesus Christ gave Himself for us. In that 14th verse. How do we learn about this hope? By the gospel of God's grace that brings life and immortality to light. That's how we learn about it. Let's see. If you look at the New Testament, you will find that this is one of the chief themes given to them by the apostles and by the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed it more than we do. They were dying for the gospel's sake. You do not know anyone personally in your family that has died for the gospel's sake. They loved to think about the second coming and the resurrection of the dead. And we should love it with them, though we may have life a little easier. And I'll tell you, that easier does not make it easier to be a Christian. If we had, if we had saints in this church being hauled out and burned at the stake or fed to lions in the Colosseum of Rome, you'd get serious about your religion. Right. You would. Let's go to John 14, a passage we're very familiar with, and remind ourselves of how important this theme of Jesus' coming was. The blessed hope of believers looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, when you see Him. How could John fall at His feet as dead when He had laid on His bosom when they ate? Don't you think they knew each other? Don't you think John knew the Lord Jesus? He had never seen Him glorified. Never seen Him glorified. Only seen Him in His humiliation. And Jesus hasn't been humbled for 2,000 years. He's been exalted. You know what the Bible says? That God hath also highly exalted Him. And given Him a name which is above every name. And He has raised Him far above all principalities and powers, might and dominion, and thrones that are named in this world and in the world to come. Jesus rules the universe. And He's coming for us. He is coming for us. John 14. Here here are His own words. If you've got a red letter edition Bible, you know they're His words. Verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You know when He's telling His disciples this? Hours before He's crucified. They had heard some strange things from Him that he was going to be betrayed by one of them and turned over to sinful men. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. 
Don't be troubled that I'm going away. Don't be troubled at what's about to happen to me. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I'm preparing that place for you, then obviously I'm coming back again to take you unto myself that we can be together in that place forever. So let not your heart be troubled. And that is the message of Jesus and the apostles 2,000 years ago. And it has brought comfort to men's souls for 2,000 years who have had their souls opened up, their eyes opened, their ears unstopped, so that they could see and hear the things of the gospel by being born again to where they would understand these precious things and love them. And they're a comfort to our souls. Look at the Lord of glory saying this. The Lord of glory is preparing us a place. Do you think it's with cheap two-by-fours? Or did he, did he upgrade it to two-by-sixes? Do you think it's a little better than that? He's got mansions, and He's coming for us, that we can be with Him forever. This is what we ought to talk about. We get so caught up in this present world, we have got to think about the next world. It is a fault of ours. Our flesh loves the present world, has no interest in the next. The world doesn't even know about the next, and so it only tells us about the present. And guess what the devil wants to help you think about? The present world. And so there's a conspiracy. I do believe in conspiratorial theories. And this isn't a theory, it's a fact. The devil, the world, and the flesh don't want you to think about what I'm telling you right now. And that if you ever got a hold of this and talked about it every day and lived in light of it every day, it would change your life. The Lord could come today. Do we want to be ready to admire Him or are we going to get caught doing something that we shouldn't be doing? Or are we going to get caught with unconfessed sins in our lives? Let's be ready for Him, looking, loving, and waiting for His appearance. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Forty-three days later, from Jesus saying, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come again to receive you unto Myself. To receive us to what? To Himself. He wants us. He is incomplete without us. Do you know the Bible says that the elect of God, this is back to Ephesians chapter 1, are the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. God fills all in all. The Lord Jesus Christ fills all in all. But the Lord Jesus Christ is incomplete without us. We're His fullness. We've been assigned to Him. He's a head without a body without us. And together, we are the family of God in the presence of God at His coming. One fantastic blessing. Look at, these, look at these apostles. 43 days after Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'll come back. Here's where we find them in Acts 1, verse 9. And when He had spoken these things, while they beheld, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. He's going to come back visibly, bodily, in the clouds, and we will meet the Lord in the air, because the Bible tells us so. Jesus told them, I go away. They watched Him go away. Jesus said, I come again. The angels confirmed it. He's going to come back just the way He left. Why are you standing there staring? He'll be back. He's not lost. He hasn't disappeared. Maybe from your eyesight. 
But when you, whenever you read Acts 1 and you watch him ascend up into heaven, make sure you turn to Revelation 5 where you can see where he arrives. He left here and then he arrived in heaven. David had never met his son. Abraham had never met his seed until this right here. And now there was the Son of God in heaven. Oh, there was God in heaven. But Jesus of Nazareth hadn't been there yet. Jesus of Nazareth was born and laid in the manger, held up by Simeon, lived 33 and a half years, died and was buried. His spirit went to paradise because he told the thief, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. His body was in the ground. His body came out of the ground. He showed himself alive by infallible proofs for 40 days. And then this happened. And then there were some introductions in heaven. The angels had never sung before, Worthy is the Lamb, until Revelation 5. The redeemed had never sang that their salvation was complete until Revelation chapter 5. And the son of David had arrived. And it was quite a gathering. And it was quite a reception because he was put on the throne of God at the right hand of God where he rules forever. 1 Corinthians 15. These poor little scattered groups of Christians hiding, fearful of persecution, hated by, their, hated by the Gentiles, hated by the Romans, hated by the Jews. But Paul would arrive and tell them about the coming of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. Mysteries being revealed to them. Secrets kept secret that no one else outside their little meeting places knew about. The hopelessness of pagan religion. Look at the hopelessness. A man dies in India. So the woman, the wife, burns herself to death on his funeral pyre. Isn't that precious? Does that stir your heart and soul about what a hope-filled existence they have? You know, one of these days soon we're going to have a box down here in front. And there's going to be some brother in it. And I hope his sister just keeps picking song after song for us to sing. Picking passages of Scripture because we're going to celebrate the blessing of God in eternal life. Because he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for us. We have the blessed hope. Oh, there, there's tears. There's mourning. There's missing. David shows us that. The, the saints of the New Testament show us that when Dorcas died. But I'll tell you, they weren't without hope as others. We're not going to be like that. We'll shed some tears. We'll hug, we'll hug each other. But if singing can get someone into heaven, we're going to get them there. I'll never forget what you people did a few months ago with I am a stranger here below and how sweet to die in succession. I wanted to go right then. You know, do you ever get that way sometime? Lord, if you're going to give me the big one anytime, give me the big one right now. I'll take the, I want out of here. It was so good to think that. And I, I think some of you were thinking that, singing some of the songs we've sang earlier in this assembly. We want to be like that. These poor persecuted saints coming out of paganism where they had no hope at all. Now they're filled with hope because of the gospel. Let me read you a few verses, beginning at verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. i got to stop there. Do you understand that ver- how true that verse is? If we deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, 
And if we live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, and all we live is a life of self-denial, we can't do this, we can't do that, we are of all men most miserable. Because at least they're getting some heaven now, aren't they? And if we've got to deny, deny ourselves the heaven, the heaven now as they would call it, then we are of all men most miserable. Christianity without a future is a miserable doctrine. But it has a future. Amen. <laughs> it has a future. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man, that's Adam, came death, by man, that's Jesus Christ, came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, Afterward, they that are Christ at His coming. Then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The last enemy the Lord Jesus Christ has to destroy is death, and He'll prove His destruction of it by raising the dead out of the ground. They will come forth. He was the first fruits, and everyone else will follow in their proper order at the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is mentioned in verse 23. They that are Christ at His coming. Notice the emphasis on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will undo everything the first Adam did. Adam got us into death so that we all die. We die physically, we're dead spiritually, and we die the second death. The Lord Jesus Christ came and wiped all those deaths away for those the Father had given Him. And they'll see that at Christ's coming. Then cometh the end. You know, there are so many charts, diagrams, books, movies written about all the things to happen next. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ comes, that is the end. Then cometh the end. When He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, He'll raise us up out of the ground, put our bodies back with our souls and spirits, and present us to God. And that will be the eternal, everlasting kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the last enemy? Death. Right now he's reigning. He has total dominion over the universe, but he has not put down all rule and authority yet. He shall do that in a day that's coming soon. And we will glorify him. Turn over to verse 51, same chapter. If you're ever asked, is there anything in the Bible about the resurrection, the chapter you want to go to is 1 Corinthians 15. It's 58 verses long and it has one subject. The resurrection of the dead. We're just looking at the timing of that resurrection at the coming of Jesus Christ. These are mysteries. What, what course do you think you can take at Greenville Tech or Harvard that's going to tell you this? None. Behold, I show you a mystery. You know there are people that read mystery novels? Why would you want to read a mystery that's fiction? I'll tell you about a mystery that's nonfiction. Right. It's better than I don't even like the word I don't even like to use the word nonfiction relative to the Bible. How about inspired and preserved? The very words of God, the food for our souls, bread from heaven. Look at this verse fifty one. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Not everyone is going to have to die. You know, there is going to be a generation alive when Jesus Christ returns. So we'll not all sleep. We'll not all go through physical death. But we shall all be changed. 
Because whether we wake or sleep, whether we're alive or already physically dead, our bodies have to be changed to be fit for heaven. I show you a mystery. This isn't in any medical book. You know where the medical books stop? As soon as it's flatlined. They don't know one thing after flatline. Do they, Adam? Mr. Paramedic, can you tell, can you have been taught anything about what happens after flatline? Nothing. But, you know, we're diving into some deep stuff right now. But it's simple to us, isn't it? This is the ABCs of the Christian religion. Amen. Adam gets to see death up close and personal. There, they have no hope. And we are filled with it. You know what? Our, li- our lives are just getting cranked up. Right. <laughs> you know, the chariot's coming down and getting us in it when we die. Because we're just getting rid of this thing. We're stepping out. We're stepping out of this body to be able to go to be with the Lord. We're laying aside this tabernacle to take a journey for a new one. Paul said, we get unclothed. We get to, we get to strip this one off. And he says, we get clothed upon it's going to be here as well with immortality, Amen. an immortal body. This is, this is what we need to talk about. They're living for this world. They're, they're chasing after a gold watch. They're on the treadmill of life, pushing the up button for more speed, more speed. What are they chasing? Then they die and go to hell. What a life. We get to live and go to heaven. We can talk about this every day. That the Lord has something special for us. I've told you and tried to teach you this before. If the world ever had a smidgen of truth about who we are, this place would be surrounded by paparazzi. Newsmen would be here. We would be on 60 Minutes. We'd be on tomorrow's Today Show. Because we are the sons of God. And they do not know us. We are the sons of God, chosen in God before the world began in Christ Jesus, and we are going to live in heaven forever. They chase down little athletes who fight dogs on the side and stuff like that. They'll chase them down and put them on programs. If they knew about us, they'd be here. Do I have a verse to back that up? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, If the princes of this world had known that they were dealing with the Lord of glory, they would not have touched Him. Behold, I show you a mystery. But it's not a mystery to us. It was a mystery until Paul explained it. He said, if I show you something that I'm calling as a secret, if I'm holding something behind my back, I want to show you something. Is it any longer hid? No, it's no longer a mystery. Oh, we may not know all the details of it, but the fact that Jesus Christ is coming is going to change our bodies. He tells us everything we need to know right here in this chapter. And he says, if you fuss too much, if you fuss too much, about wondering what kind of a body you're going to have in heaven, Paul calls you a fool. You say, did he really? Yes, he did really. He, verse 35, some man will say, here's a skeptic, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Tell me more. See, there were at Corinth teachers that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Paul knew he'd have some. And he knew that they would ask questions like this. Well, if you really believe in the resurrection of the dead, then what kind of a body do they have? You know what Paul called him in verse 36? Thou fool. That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. And every seed his own body. The one kernel of corn goes in the ground. Thirteen foot stalk comes out with 800 kernels of corn on it if it has one ear. If it has two ears, it's got 1,600. 
It's drastically different. And that is a skeptic trying to pick on the Apostle Paul. He's preempting their question by giving the answer, you fool. God gives, him a, gives it a body, and God's going to give us bodies as it pleases him. Right. And that's a good enough explanation for me. Amen. And I hope it is for you. Back to verse 52. When will we all be changed? In a moment. Have you ever added an inch, you young men, have you ever added an inch to your biceps? Have you ever put a tape measure? I know none of you want to nod your heads or raise your hands. But have you ever wanted to add an inch to your biceps by putting a tape around your biceps and writing it down and then going and doing curls for hours and hours and hours, eating your father out of house and home to try to pack on one inch of bulk to your bicep? Takes you forever. And if you quit for two weeks, it goes bye-bye. Do you know how, you know how fast we're all going to be changed? Look at, in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. People ask, when's the Lord going to come relative to the book of Revelation? Well, Paul said he comes the last trump. So when you're reading through that book and you're reading about the trumpets, understand that they happen in this world, in this life, and then the Lord comes the last one of them. That's simple enough, isn't it? You think Paul and John knew what each other was writing about? It didn't matter. There's one author. The Holy Spirit of God. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Our bodies will come. I don't care if you've been cremated, lost at sea, dissolved, eaten by robins, because worms ate you first. It doesn't matter. The Lord's going to put you back together. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality so that we'll be fit for heaven. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. You know, sometimes we'll say, That boxer could eat him for breakfast. Don't, don't we say stuff, My team could eat your team for breakfast. Do you know how the Lord puts it? Death is swallowed up in victory. It's swallowed up and devoured. Because the victory is so certain, so thorough, so complete, so eternal, so lasting. And it fully changes us from mortality to immortality. This is true. I don't care what you learn in school, Lewis, for the rest of your life. Nothing will be as true as this. This is true. I'm not sure if there's gravity. I think there is. But I know there's a resurrection of the dead. I'll accept your gravity. Just drop something on my head. But I know this is true. You know how many hours you're going to put into studying other things? This is true. This will keep you. This will help make you a holy and a great young man. This will make you a prince in the sight of God. This will save you when someone dies close to you. This will help you when you bury your father. This will help you when you're about to be buried. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. This is true. The Lord's showing you a mystery that they don't know. So let's mock death a little bit. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? What happened, death? What happened, grave? Couldn't you keep me down there? Six feet of dirt, dissolved, eaten by worms, eaten by robins, carried to another continent. You couldn't, ha- couldn't hold me, could you? 
couldn't hold the Lord and you couldn't hold me. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Jesus Christ blew them both out of the way by keeping the law perfectly and then dying in our stead under the condemnation of the law, the curse of the law that said, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He's redeemed us from the power of the grave. And so it says in verse 57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What should we do with that glorious doctrine? Therefore, when you find a therefore in the Word of God, you should be asking, What's the therefore? Therefore, because a therefore is drawing a conclusion from logical, from reasoning. Therefore, therefore, if God's going to do all of this for us, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If these things are true from 51 to 57, then 58 should lead us to want to serve the Lord with all that we've got. Unmovable, always abounding because we know there's a reward and it's a reward that far exceeds anything we can pay in this life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Oh, let's be unmovable. Always abounding. In two words that says a lot, doesn't it? Abounding says there's a whole lot of it. Always says it's always, it's, it's going to be there at every time. No matter the circumstances, always abounding. Wonderful combination. That's what we want to give the Lord for what He's going to do for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. You know, you read the the two epistles to the Thessalonians, and you know they love the second coming of Jesus Christ, and Paul told them more about it than any other epistle. It's almost in every single chapter. It is in every single chapter. Look at at this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is the reputation of the Thessalonians that had spread into the Roman Empire. Paul said that wherever we go, verses 6 through 8, wherever we go, we don't even have to tell them about you. They tell us about you. They tell us because the word of the Lord sounded out from them in verse 8. Their faith to Godward is spread abroad. And what were the Thessalonians like? Verse 9. For these other churches that we go visit, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and await for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. That was the testimony of the Thessalonians. They turned from idolatry to worship the true and living God and to wait for His Son from heaven. May may our reputation, small, insignificant, base, base in our personalities, poor in our economics, foolish in our worldly wisdom, may our little church have a reputation that goes out through the Internet waves that we are waiting for His Son from heaven. There's a church in Greenville, South Carolina that is on fire about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They live for Him every day. They talk about it. You should hear them sing when they're singing about the coming of Jesus Christ. They're waiting for His Son from heaven. May that be our reputation. That's chapter 1. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. There's the coming in chapter 2. I want chapter 3. Verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end. 
He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. There's the Lord Jesus Christ coming with all His saints in chapter 3. And it tells us that Paul wanted to accomplish something in those Thessalonians, that they would increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, as we the apostles do toward you, to the end. This is why I want you to increase in love. This is why I want you to love the brethren. This is why there can be no grudges. This is why we have to live in peace as a church, live in peace with our neighbors, live in peace with our spouses, live in peace with our children, live in peace with our parents. This is why, to this end, that we can be established in holiness because God is coming in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to examine us and we shall give an account of our lives at His coming with all His saints. So let's be living holy lives when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. This is the Apostle Paul taking up the coming that he had in chapter 1, chapter 2, and showing how it ought to move us. If the Lord comes and finds that you hate one of His other children that He saved, or that you have a grudge against them, God forbid that it would ever happen. But you know it's going to happen in this world. We let little things bother us way too easily. We have got to live above that by God making us increase and abound in love one toward another. We need to pray for that. And we need to live for that and stir it up in our hearts to the end. This is the goal. That we can be established blameless in holiness at the coming of Jesus Christ. That's how we want to be found. You know First Thess- chapter 4. Do you think the second coming's in chapter 4? You Hopefully you read that last night. Verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. There's no doubt about this matter, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, will not precede them, will not go before them. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This passage is for funerals. If the Thessalonians had any thought that a brother that had died and would have been in a casket, if they had any concern about what's going to happen to him, Paul gave these verses to teach that God cares so much about our brothers who have died before us that He's actually going to come and get them first. He's going to come and get them first. Then we which are alive remain. You know, we tend to think that death is really a negative event in our lives. The Lord comes for the dead first. We ought to be able to comfort one another with words like that. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, that He's going to come for them first. You know that we want a church building someday of our, of our own with a cemetery. This is our own, but you know what I mean. We want a cemetery out front. We've, we've got a couple of visitors, and we love our visitors very much today, but we're going to tell you one of our secrets. We want a cemetery out front that you have to walk through to get to the door to get inside because we want to walk past one another and know that we're coming out to meet the Lord. Now, I don't know if we'll ever achieve 
the pastor's little fantasy. But I'd love to have a cemetery where we look at each other. You know, it wouldn't hurt either for our kids to walk past us if they ever try to take up any new doctrines in this church. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, there was a church cemetery in Jerusalem. The young men picked up Ananias and Sapphira and took them out and dropped them in the ground. That would have been a warning to all for a good while, wouldn't it have been? But we can have reminders that the, the body of brother so-and-so is down there dissolving. His spirit and his soul are in heaven. The Lord's coming and He's going to get him before He gets us. Isn't that comforting? He's going to comfort. We tend to think, well, the Lord may have forgotten about them. Oh, no. He comes for them first. Praise the God of heaven. Amen. He doesn't forget them. How about 2 Thessalonians chapter 1? Yes, the second coming's in chapter 5 of 1st, but let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. These poor people were being persecuted. It tells us in verse 4 that, that Paul was commending them for their patience and faith in all their persecutions and tribulations that they were enduring. They were enduring a lot of pain. And so he says in verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. Take it easy. Don't worry about all these negative things that are happening to you. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When... He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe in that day. In that day of Jesus Christ's coming, we will glorify Him and we will admire Him. And how do we know if we're going to be in that number that He comes for? Because our testimony among you was believed. That's what's in parentheses. Faith is the first evidence of eternal life. The Bible says in Acts 13:48, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Faith is the first evidence of eternal life, but it's not much evidence because the devils believe and tremble. We are to add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge patience, godliness, temperance, brotherly kindness and charity. Faith that has works is the evidence. Watch. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Did you see that Paul put in parentheses how you could know that you'd be in that number? Because our testimony among you was believed. Belief is the first evidence, but it's not much of an evidence by itself. Somebody says they believe? Look, James 2 just makes fun of them because it's so inadequate. The devils believe and tremble. And most people who say they believe don't even tremble. But the devils tremble. We've got to add works to our faith. That's why he goes on to say, Abraham was justified by works. God said to Abraham that you're a justified man when he took Isaac to offer him on an altar. Right. Same thing hasn't changed a bit from either testament. Look at 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. You know, we're asked, how do you know, how do you know if you're elect or not? 
It's easy enough. Faith that works by love is, a, is what it says in Galatians. Here it's the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. Does your faith result in works that please God? Does your belief in Jesus Christ result in you obeying Him? Labor of love. Is your love something you sing about, talk about, or do you show it? We had a young man get up and describe a labor of love. Patience of hope. Does the hope of everlasting life cause you to patiently endure your troubles and afflictions without complaining against God? See, these are works. And Paul could say, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. That's how we know we're elect. Our faith works. Our love labors. And our hope is patient. Peter would say, doing those eight things, if you do these things, you shall never fall. And that's how you make your calling and election sure. Not sure to God, sure to us. Sure to us. By adding those things, we can know that we are the elect of God and therefore Jesus Christ is coming for us. He starts with the first one right here in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 when he puts in parentheses, because our testimony among you was believed, because he shall come to be admired by all them that believe in that day. Are you looking forward to admiring the Lord Jesus Christ? When I read Revelation chapter 1 or 19 where it describes him on the white horse, don't, don't you admire that picture? I don't admire the other pictures they have of them. They're all Catholic paintings. Every picture you've ever seen of Jesus Christ is a Catholic painting. They don't have any idea what he looked like. And he certainly didn't look like what they think he looked like. My Jesus didn't have hair that looked like Charles Manson. My Jesus had hair that looked like Caesar. Short crop to his head like everyone else wore in that day. Where did they get that idea? The Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Is there somebody in this world that would like to shame the Lord Jesus Christ by putting long hair on him? Should I give you three guesses on this tough one? Do you admire the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible? He's coming. Let me tell you what he says about it. I'll show you. You're close at hand. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. I get so tired of those pictures. I grew up with those pictures all around me long-haired Jesus that they stole from the Catholics. Little effeminate guy. You know when it says the Lord shall ascend from heaven with a shout? Those pictures you've seen, if he shouted, he'd fall over dead. He doesn't have any strength in him. The Son of God that's coming has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And let me tell you, when he speaks, the Bible says when he opens, no man shuts. And when he shuts, no man opens. What have they done to the Son of God? They have stolen His glory. They have shamed Him. We are going to admire the one that we see. Amen. You can't even imagine what He looks like. You have never seen power. Any of you that have been near a president and seen Secret Service agents all over the place and seen the aura that surrounds a man that's that important is nothing right. compared to what we're going to see when we see the Son of God. He's going to have 10,000 times 10,000 angels attending to Him. That's what it says in the Bible. That's 100 million plus thousands of thousands in case you can't count me higher. And they're all going to be there. And that's the Son of God. He isn't going to be in some little sissy christening outfit given to him by his grandmother. You know what he, you know what he looks like. Amen. We want to admire him. Amen. The Savior is coming. He's the Lord of the universe. I want you, I want, if you don't trust me, 
and you don't trust Revelation, you don't trust whatever other references I've made, listen to what Paul said about them. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13, Paul is trying to get Timothy's attention again, and he's about to charge him by being a, to be a faithful minister. 1 Timothy 6.13, I give thee charge. Paul's charging young Timothy. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. That means he makes them alive. And before Christ Jesus, I'm charging you, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the coming of Jesus Christ. His appearing, and this is what His appearance looks like. Which in His times, this time of His second coming, He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Would that get your attention if you got a letter like that in the mail from a, Apostle Paul and you were a, a young, timid Timothy that he was trying to provoke? That should fire you up. The Lord Jesus Christ shall show. The world doesn't know what He looks like. You, the Lord of glory is coming. And that's what He looks like. He's the blessed and only potentate. Whenever I hear about those Shriners taking the name, the Grand Imperial Potentate, oh, I get upset. They don't, they don't know what a potentate is. None of them are potent. None of them have any power. All the power is with the Lord. To Him, it says, be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Because it's the great God and Savior that's coming. It's His glorious appearing. He did humble Himself to death, but He hasn't humbled Himself for 2,000 years. And He'll never humble Himself again except to submit to God that God may be all in all according to 1 Corinthians 15, 28. The man Christ Jesus rules the universe. And He's going to show that when He comes for us. He is going to split this atmosphere wide open, pull us out of this world and burn this place up and create a new heavens and a new earth for us wherein dwelleth righteousness and we shall live with Him forever and ever and ever. He's coming for us. It's the second coming. And if we don't think about these things, we'll go outside of these doors and think that our job, our yard, our car, our house, our children are the most important things when it should be. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming and I want to be found faithful to the Son of God. That's what we want to be thinking about. Yes, it's called the blessed hope. It's called the glorious appearing. It's called, he's called the great God. I need to quit. But look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Paul preached till midnight. But if you fall out of a window and die, I can't raise you from the dead. That's one problem. There's just a, just a couple more because I want us to realize what should, the, what should the coming of Jesus Christ cause us to do? How should it change us? James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. What do those three verses say? 
Be patient for the coming of the Lord, verse 7. Farmers know how to be patient. Farmers wait, it says, they have long patience. They are able to put seed in the ground. Nothing shows for a number of days. Nothing. That, that's patience. You know, I, that's why I'm not a farmer. You know, I'd be out there pulling the soil away to make sure that something's sprouting out of that little seed. Because I don't have a whole lot of that thing called pea when it comes to waiting for something to come up out of the ground. But do you know what he's saying? Farmers know how to do it. Farmers put the seed in the ground. They wait for the early rain to get it going, to dissolve that seed in the ground so that it'll sprout. Then they can wait all summer long and wait for the latter rain that fills their produce with maximum amount of liquid and fills it out so that it's ready to be harvested. And he waits all summer long. He has put everything he owns. He ate up most of it. He kept a little bit for seed. And now he has to wait all summer for the harvest. He makes all of his income in one weekend. A farmer. You learn to trust the Lord. You need sunshine and rain. And he waits for those two rains. And the Lord says, if they can do it for that, surely you can wait for me. But that's not my main point I want from James 5, 7 through 9. The main point I want is, brethren, don't allow any grudges to come up among yourselves. It is so easy to get grudges in churches. And do you know what this verse says? Grudge not one another. Brethren, lest ye be condemned, behold, the judge standeth before the door. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming, and he is not going to put up with his children fighting each other. Let's lo- Does that match up with 1 Thessalonians 3 where it said that we need to abound and increase in love more and more so that we're established blameless in holiness at the coming of Jesus Christ? Love is the greatest measure of a child of God. It's far beyond faith. Now by the faith, hope, charity, these three with the greatest of these is charity. Devils believe, but devils don't love. Love is the greatest evidence of a child of God. It's the greatest change that God's ever made to our nature is to take selfish, hateful beings and teach them how to love other people. That's what it says right there. Don't grudge against one another. One more verse. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Oh, the apostles worked, the apostles worked the second coming over to get the attention of their hearers. 1 Peter 1.13, Wherefore, you know that, for those of you that know your Bibles well, you know that everything up to this point in 1 Peter 1 is about the second coming also. But we don't have time. We'll go to verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Think about what we're being told by God that we need to do. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Tighten up your thinking. Be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ when He reveals Himself. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Don't live like you used to. But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. If the Lord Jesus Christ is coming for us, we need to gird up the loins of our mind and focus on what He is expecting of us and wants to see in us. Be sober and hope to the end that He's coming and to be holy like He is holy and not to live the way that we used to live. The change in a Christian should be so dramatic and different from how the world lives. At home, with their spouse, with their children, on the job, their honesty, their dealings in commerce, 
Their thoughts, their speech, everything they do should be different from the world. Not in the way that we once ignorantly lived. We should live a holy life because He's holy and the holy God is coming for us. And that's why it said in 1 Thessalonians 3, and I mention it again, to the end that ye may be established blameless in holiness at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Do you want to know if He's coming for you? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Two, do something with that faith. We do not believe in decisional regeneration. We reject that. Regeneration occurs first that causes men to believe. Then that faith works. That faith does something. That faith keeps the commandments of God. It is different than a devilish faith. It changes men's lives. It's the work of faith, the labor of love, the patience of hope. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on Him for mercy. Repent of your sins. Stand up and work for Him. Serve Him. Love your brethren. Love everyone that God commands you to love. Be patient through all the afflictions of life. Putting your trust in the Lord because of the hope that is set out before you. Add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge. Bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. It is by those things that we know we are the children of God. Salvation has been made way too cheap in the last 150 years where all it took was some little decision. No apostle ever believed that. No apostle ever taught it, and no one believed it and taught it in this country until the influence of Charles Finney and others. They understood that it is righteousness that shows a child of God. It is holy living. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's how you know. That's why Paul could say about other people. He didn't even have the book of life, but he said, Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. And it's not because God's given me discernment of spirits, Paul said. It's because... I know your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. It's those works. My last words, Peter said, if ye do these things, there is something that we need to be doing. The eight things of Second Peter 1, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. But an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.